0: Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Thursday, September the 14th, 2023. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Apple unveiled the iPhone 15 Pro and Pro Max. But is it worth the upgrade? Is it worth your hard earned dollars? Mark Flalo will give his opinion. And the Toronto International Film Festival is underway. Entertainment critic Michael McNeely will share his experience and give a review on the world premiere of Close to You. Brock Richardson is standing by for a sports chat, but I've got the regional news update first. Starting in the prairies, E. coli infections from a Calgary daycare outbreak continue to rise. The confirmed number of cases is now 310. 21 children are still in hospital. Alberta Children's Hospital section chief of pediatric emergency medicine, Dr. Tanya Principe, offers some context on what the higher numbers mean
1: so may test positive and not have symptoms. And so this increase in numbers we're seeing has more to do when we're getting results from the lab on those tested previously, but actually clinically in the eMERGE, we're seeing significant decrease in the number of children presenting with illness.
0: Medical officer of health for the Southern Zone, Dr. Francisco Rizzotti, says investigators are still trying to pinpoint the exact source of the outbreak.
2: Our investigation into the source of the illness continues. We have not identified a food source at this point. However, as we have noted before, the epidemiology of cases we have seen to date strongly indicates that it is likely the source of the outbreak is food that was distributed from
0: the central kitchen. Over to Ontario, a new report shows the number of accidental drug and alcohol deaths almost doubled in the province during the pandemic. Laurie Paris takes a closer look.
2: The Ontario Drug Policy Research Network and Public Health Ontario say almost 3,000 people died from drug or alcohol toxicity in 2021, compared to nearly 1,600 people in 2018. Senior author Tara Gomes says that's an average of eight deaths every day in 2021. She says a number of deaths involving multiple substances surpassed deaths from one substance alone. Those substances include opiates, stimulants such as cocaine or meth, benzodiazepines, and alcohol. Laurie Paris, The Canadian Press, Toronto. That-
0: Sorry, Laurie, didn't mean to step on you. That's your look at the regional news. Let's go to Brock Richardson for a sports chat. Brock, you and I have talked before about load management in the world of sports. Players taking a little bit of time off here and there in the middle of the season when they're not actually injured. Well, the National Basketball Association has brought in some rule changes that say, "Na na 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 nah. Less resting if you're healthy, guys.
3: Yes. So according to ESPN's, Adrian Wojnarowski, who is like the man, the myth, the legend, the when it man. comes to NBA reporting, he says the Board of Governors has voted on strengthening punishment for sitting out multiple All-Stars in the same regular season games and also strengthening punishments for sitting out players in national TV broadcasts. So this has come down the pipe. I couldn't find exactly what the punishment will be it's kind of oh i can tell of... you i can tell you it's financial uh first offense
0: first offense hundred thousand dollars for a team who rests a player who's not actually injured uh, uh finds escalating to two hundred and fifty thousand 000 per violation moving forward
3: oof that's big dollars um so knowing that my second point kind of becomes a little different because I, my only concern with this is i understand the premise of Wanting to sit, uh, wanting to punish teams that sit players, especially for national games, because that's why they pay the money to get those national games. I get it, but there's always gonna be some, some way, somehow that a team will say we're gonna find a way to sit somebody that might be quote unquote healthy, but it might be hard now with a hundred thousand and two hundred thousand dollars. Uh, with that kind of cash uh, flowing around. But there's always ways to do this. What do you make of this strengthening of punishment so there are
0: built-in exemptions here brock for players who are either over the age of 35 for situations where players are going into a back-to-back games night back-to-back uh, games in terms of you played tuesday and wednesday maybe there's going to be a little bit of wiggle room so the nba is already acknowledging that hey we get that sometimes you've got to load manage you've, you've got to rest maybe you have been dealing with lingering injuries you have an injury history but brock the fact is sports is about stars especially a sport like the NBA, when there's only 12 people on the roster, you know the faces, you know the bodies, you know the names. It's a star-driven league, and it's a long season. 82 games is a lot of games. Maybe it's not baseball, it's 162, but it's still a lot of games to be played. So I understand why on a Wednesday or Thursday night, the league is saying, guys, you got to send your stars. you got to have Kawhi Leonard there. You've got to have LeBron James there. You've got to have Kevin Durant there. We can't have this where our star players are only playing 50 or 55 games a year, not because they've blown out the MCL or torn their Achilles or broken a wrist. It's because they're just tired. There's only so much appetite in the fan base if they're not getting their doses of stars.
3: Well, and what's the reason we we pay to see the nba in this case as the point of the discussion the reason we pay is to see those stars and the names that you mentioned and i think paying customers get a little bit upset or a lot of bit upset when they go and they spend buckets of money and they sit down and someone's got a steph curry jersey on a kid's got a steph curry, and they don't see their their favorite player. That becomes a problem, and I know the NBA, like the brasses for each team may not care as much, and it seems now they're going to have to care because there's going to become a steep, steep punishment with this. Something else that I I wanted to bring to your attention with all this that I would like to see the NBA sort of even out a little bit, and I want to preface this, I'm not necessarily speaking at this from a toronto raptors perspective i'm speaking of this from a broader league i would like to see the nba kind of spread out the love for the christmas day games because every year we see the new york knicks because the new york knicks is the iconic you know it's the new york knicks i would really like to see the nba spread the love out to other teams beyond the teams that we see the lakers sometimes the, the Golden State Warriors, give us a little bit of love between all teams because all fan bases would, I'm sure, like to watch uh, their team. Now, some wives might say, no thanks, we have Christmas plans. But, you know, I, I just think I'd like to see this. Is there anything else you'd like to see the NBA um, change or do differently or weigh in on my Christmas Day thought?
0: Yeah, I don't know that I want to watch the Charlotte Hornets on Christmas Day, Brock. I, I Let's maybe keep it to the star teams in the marquee franchises. I get what you're saying, but there's no way I'm going to sit down and watch the Portland Trailblazers or the Charlotte Hornets on Christmas Day when I could be spending time with my family. Uh, you, you, again, back to the stars thing. you got to send your stars. you got to send your marquee people out there. Uh, something I would like to see, the NBA uniforms. There is no consistency with the colors teams are wearing, light versus dark, teams wearing a ton of alternative colors i believe one team last year wore 18 different uniforms during the course of the season i turn on these games on cable at night and i literally do not recognize the uniforms and i'm a sports fan brock like i'm a sports addict fan and if i can't tell who's playing and who's who and if everybody's wearing dark colors and i can't distinguish who's what i'm turning off the game and moving on somewhere else i think
3: that's a big tv presentation issue it
0: might sound like a small thing but to my brain it's
3: a big thing no, I agree, and I think that there is a a portion of the the world that doesn't necessarily understand how difficult it is to watch something when you can't decipher one and the other. I think sometimes the 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 community the sighted community can sort of take for granted of they know what's happening on the t v but people that don't have as good of sight and are part of the blind and partially sighted community it's a struggle, and I struggle with that for soccer, I struggle with that with different sports because it also depends on how it's being commentated to me as to how I can follow. And, and the shirt color, um, I know there was a game uh, against in the World Cup where uh, one team was wearing red and Canada was wearing uh, white and it was backwards. And I, wanted, and I wanted to say, which one is Canada? And Dan Shulman did not say at the beginning of the game, Canada's wearing this color. This team's wearing that color. And that's helpful. And my wife, who's sighted, pointed out at the bottom, she said Canada's labeled in red, uh, like their name is labeled in red, and the other team's labeled in white. And I would have never noticed that if it wasn't for a sighted person in my house being like, yeah, here's what you need to know. Well, if I was home by myself, I I wouldn't have known that. Uniformity with uniforms
0: and uniformed broadcasts. Well done. Hey, Brock, tight for time here today. Got to get out of here. Hold all your powder for tomorrow. We'll talk a lot of football and what's coming up on the weekend. Sounds good. That's Brock Richardson. He's at the AMI Sports desk coming up after the break. You know Apple has unveiled their iPhone 15 Pro and Pro Max. Is it worth your hard earned dollars to splurge on the upgrade? Mark Aflalo will give you his opinion on the day that Access Tech Live debuts on AMI-tv. Marco Aflalo taking a little extra time to talk to little old me and little old you. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. Apple has unveiled its new series of iPhones at their event earlier this week. All in the iPhone 15 families. But are those phones worth the hype? Marco Flalo has some opinions on this. Mark is the co-host of Access Tech Live. The show debuts today. In less than two hours. Mark Flalo taking some time on new issue day. Thank you for making it. <laughs>
2: It's it's my pleasure, Dave. It's a uh, call this my pre show rehearsal or technical check.
0: <laughs> We're getting you warmed <laughs> up. We're just getting your vocal cords warmed up. It's very important. Mark, you did a little bit of speculation last week on what this Apple Wunderlust event was going to be like. And a lot of what you had to say was proven true titanium uh, shells for the phones, upgraded cameras, a lot of stuff that was sort of out there in the speculation. What's been the actual industry reaction since? since... since the unveiling of the
2: iPhone 15 Pro and Pro Max it's been a little mixed i mean you have your typical excuse me <clears throat> apple oh, fanboys who <laughs> we, uh, just did, we just really... did the vocal warm up and it went the exactly, wrong way <laughs> no i'm telling you that frog in my throat um, or goldfish rather uh, industry i mean that's torn you, you got your apple fanboys which of course regardless of what apple comes out with they're going to be excited about and tell you it's the best thing since sliced bread then you've got the ones that are you know really kind of fair down the middle saying again little iterative updates on the iphone lineup however the pro with the new material shift with a little bit of a thinner bezel and more battery life, along with the software updates and this new action button is a pretty significant upgrade for people who aren't necessarily on the iPhone 14. So kind of like what we talked about last week was if you're on a model that's older than the 14, which is last year's generation, it's a no brainer. You're going to go ahead and do this update so that you're, you know, you're there with the latest and greatest. Mm. But the industry, I mean, it's three parts. One in one part of the industry tears that part. The other one's kind of non-biased and the other one is just fanboys. So we're still kind of floating that. It's going to take a while because people need to get hands on and really kind of feel what that titanium means. Is it as light as people say it feels in your hand. And of course, that's also subjective because if you're using an iPhone 14 Pro Max, you know, the heaviest, biggest phone, and then you hold an iPhone 14 Pro that's titanium, yeah, it's gonna feel lighter. You know, so a lot of it is, you know, subjectivity. You know, sometimes it's
0: as you say, it's hands-on. It's something as simple as, wow, this titanium might feel lighter, but it feels slippery in my hand. it, it, <laughs> it could be something no, could be something as silly as that, right? That yeah, it can no, be yeah. a little bit the tiniest, like feel or touch or aesthetic preference can be the decision on why someone's going to bother upgrading.
2: You know, I saw a tweet um, earlier yesterday that said, maybe it's time for the industry at whole to kind of just slow down a bit and release updates every 2 years so that it seems a little bit more significant i'm not necessarily in total disagreement with that i kind of like the iterative updates because especially software wise and of course it's easier software wise because you can you don't have to wait a whole year to get this whole new sled of features right mm. you can Test things, put it out in beta, see how it works, see if people like it. And you can adapt over time. Hardware-wise, it's a little bit more difficult. And and we've become used to this this annual model of upgrades. So it's kind of a give or take.
0: Mark, I think probably the most tangible difference, and this was, again, known that it was going to happen, this Apple didn't do this out of the goodness of their own hearts, the European Union passed a law telling them they have to do it, (laughs) but these new lines of iPhones are going to be shifting their charging capacity. It's going to be USB-C chargers instead of the Apple lightning cable or the lightning port. Again, they didn't do this out of the goodness of their own hearts, but this is something that's going to
2: tangibly impact the life of you users. Listen, absolutely. I mean if you think about people who have been used to the lightning cable but are upgrading laptops and getting new devices across the board that are USB-C, it's one less cable to have to worry about. I mean that lightning cable was a wonderful cable when it came out It replaced a 30 pin connector and an iPod. So it made sense at the time. The fact that it's taken this long to switch to something that everybody else is pretty much universally adopting is kind of strange. The interesting shift here though, Dave, is that on the 15 lineup, so the the regular, the 15 and the 15 plus, The USB-C is just, you know, USB-C. It's it's USB-C 3.0. That's lovely. On the Pro lineup, it's actually Thunderbolt, which means faster connectivity. And they're actually demonstrating people using their iPhone cameras, and there's a new camera system here as well, as a real-time kind of save directly to a hard drive for video production and movie making. oh, oh. we're actually like there is a pretty big gap between these two different you know levels of phone. But you have to ask yourself at the end of the day, am I buying an iPhone to make a movie? No. But if you've got a couple iPhones and you're starting out and you want to try something and don't want to spend $10,000 on a red camera, you can do it with an iPhone now. Mark, my, my brain is feeble.
0: Do that Do that. compare and contrast one more time for me, the USB-C versus so, a thunderbolt versus what was a lightning port? The because these terms are flying around over here.
2: So USB-C is the, the the USB standard right now is USB what they're called 3.0. It has a cap of, I think, uh, under 10, 10 megabits or something. I Don't quote me on the numbers, but it's just kind of regular transfer speed. So if you're okay. copying a file, On a USB-C, just regular cable, it would take, let's say, 10 seconds. On Thunderbolt, it's incredibly fast. That 10 seconds would be half a second to copy. So it's a lot faster in terms of data transfer. So you're basically getting what is on mainstream laptops and computers in a phone. So we're taking that iPhone to a whole new level, and we're giving it capabilities that modern-day computers have. No, again, forgive me, Mark. I, I just I I'm so
0: I'm so not techie in the way that I talk about these things because the previous Apple charging technology was called Lightning, but Thunderbolt, is that proprietary for Apple or is that no, is that it's not. industry standard?
2: It's industry standard, Thunderbolt. uh, It used to be Thunderbolt 3, now it's Thunderbolt 4. You've got USB in one hand, which is those old USB Type-A connectors, and the USB Type-C connector, which is the more oval-type connector. They transfer things at the normal speed. Thunderbolt uses the same connector, and this is why there is confusion. It uses the same connector as USB-C. It's got that oval connector, and it plugs in just the same way any other USB, but just the speeds are a lot higher because it's a different protocol. It's something that Intel has been working on for a very, very long time long time, and they're working with Every manufacturer to make sure that these these standard standards are adopted. So faster speeds on Thunderbolt, but speeds akin to literally being able to record, oh. you know, six K video and transferring that in seconds versus being able to transfer that in in almost hours on regular USB.
0: Mark the shifting USB landscape and charging landscape actually prompted today's daily poll at AMI Audio. Uh, it's at AMI Audio, <laughs> oh, look at that! I'm so old school. Oh. At Accessible Media. <laughs> at Accessible Media on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc on Facebook, the question being how would you describe your home charging setup? Efficient, (laughs) cluttered, or chaotic? I land somewhere between cluttered and chaotic, and the clutter oftentimes leads to chaos. How would you describe your at-home charging
2: situation? I would say it's between cluttered and efficient. I mean... I do a lot of wireless charging, you know, I've got pads all over the place, little Belkin chargers that I can, you know, just magnetic, magnetically stick things to. So it's pretty, pretty easy. We're also an all Apple household. There's a couple of Androids kind of straggling by when they send them to me to use. So we've got, you know, various charging stations around my house. Um, so we've got, you know, a port in the living room that has a USB-C connector, has a, a lightning connector so that my daughter can charge her phone and her iPad at the same time. So it's, it's a, little, a little chaotic, but on the more efficient side. Mark, thank you. I thought you'd have some pretty good expertise
0: on that one. Like I I was saying earlier in the show, I've got outlets and wires going everywhere. (laughs) Every time I buy a new device or a new piece of equipment, it always comes with those useless short connectors and wires. But I'm a hoarder, so I refuse to throw them out. My, My house right now is just a maze of wires and outlets and wildness. And it seems I can never find the charger that I'm actually looking for in a moment of critical need.
2: Well and that's why this USB-C standard is going to make things easier. Whether it's Thunderbolt USB-C whatever you call the protocol behind the behind closed doors, it's one type of cable. So yeah. you can plug that cable in and charge and you're ready to go. And of course, you know, you talk about charging speed. USB-C in general brings faster charging speeds across the board to the new lineup of phones. So there is benefits there.
0: There is indeed benefit. Okay, Mark, as I mentioned right off the top, today is the day that Access Access Tech Live debuts on AMI-tv, noon Eastern time. You and Steven Scott, vibe check here, 90 minutes away. How are you feeling?
2: <laughs> I'm feeling good. I'm feeling really good. I think it's, you know, we've been spent, spending the better part of two weeks rehearsing. Um, I'm excited that we can talk about news that's happening now Obviously, we're going to be talking all about Apple's event. Yeah, we're going to be welcoming Shelley Brisbane, who literally wrote the book on iOS and the iPadOS accessibility to break it all down. Stephanie Cadieu is joining us, Canada's chief accessibility officer, to talk about the state of accessibility in our country. I, I think it's a pretty solid lineup. It's show number one. Uh, so hopefully we're setting the bar where we need to be so we can continue to to raise that from week to week.
0: Love it. Yeah, I've been uh, listening to those rehearsals uh, in my office. It's piping down the hallway. You guys are doing great. You and Steven Scott are phenomenal. The production crew in the room are top tiered as well. It's going to be a great show today at noon Eastern. Mark, I'm going to say break a leg, but, you know, don't literally do that.
2: Thank you. I appreciate
0: that. Yeah, we only we leave that for Sean Priest and Sean Priest alone. That is Marco Flalo. He is one of the hosts of Access to Access. I gotta work on that. Access Tech Live. The show debuts at noon Eastern on AMI TV this afternoon, not this afternoon, this weekend on the pulse on AMI audio. Hosted by Joyda Gupta, accessibility consultant Ahmad Habib reflects on the 2022 FIFA World Cup and its impact on accessibility in Qatar. That is an interesting conversation, no doubt about that one. The Pulse weekends at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio. You can also find The Pulse on major podcasting platforms and YouTube, and you can find Joita on the show tomorrow as part of the news panel. Coming up next, the Toronto International Film Festival is underway. Entertainment critic Michael McNeely will share his experience and give you a review of the world premiere of Close to You. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. The 48th annual Toronto International Film Festival is in full swing. 60 films are making their debut in Canada, many of which are having their world premiere, including the drama Close to You, starring Elliot Page and Hillary Back. Entertainment critic Michael McNeely is covering TIFF, He's going to share his takes on the film and reflect on accessibility at this year's festival. Hey, good morning, Michael.
4: Good morning i like your suit you should be active with me
0: today michael i am indeed wearing a blazer a suit coat uh the air conditioning was broken all summer around uh, the ami offices uh finally the temperature outside has cooled down so so has the studio and i can bring the suit back into the mix so michael out of all the films to choose from why did closer to you jump out to you
4: It wasn't really a choice, Dave. I try and cover films in English language for AMI, and this was the only one that was provided with open captions. The captioning machine was advertised as being available for other films, but it's not working very well. But I do want to give a shout out to customer relations, because they are trying their best.
0: So you mentioned the importance of open captioning. How does that change your experience as an audience member?
4: It means that I don't have to struggle to watch a movie with other people. It means that I can just sit back and relax. I think being deafblind, it's hard for me to do troubleshooting of the captioning machines when the movie is ongoing, especially when the movie is filled. Um, It's hard to step out, and it's hard to come back in without distracting people, and I feel badly for that, so I often just don't bother, and I tell the tell the customer relations people that the machine is not working and leave. But with open captioning, I could just be rest assured in the fact that it's working and everybody's watching it at the same time.
0: Mm. Let's get to the film itself, close to you. What's the premise of the film?
4: Well, the film stars L.A. Page, as you mentioned, as a trans man named Sam, who has lived in Toronto for five years. Um, since their transition, and they haven't spoken with their family much, if at all. And so now they're going to go and visit their family in uh, Hoburg, Ontario, which is actually not very far. And uh, they have a family reunion and a meetup with an ex girlfriend to look forward to. What did you appreciate about the storyline? I appreciated that it shows the dysfunction of family and sometimes the stress that one has. When you go and visit family after a long time away, I appreciated the awkward conversations around transition because those seemed very realistic by cis family members. Um, I also appreciated that Sam seemed to have to do the brunt of the emotional work with regards to explain to the family what happened and why they were going the way things were going. Um, I think those were all fantastic. Um, I also appreciated that Sam was not afraid to let his family know when he felt uncomfortable.
0: What would you change about it? If you were the
4: director, what would you change? I felt that like the romantic subplot was a little bit true horned I think I would have left it ambiguous. As it stands now, um and well that seems like a relationship is going to happen with the ex-girlfriend from high school, but I don't think it needed to be spelled out that clearly. And, but I do want to mention that Hillary Hillary um Beck is deaf. So I'm very happy that she is in this film and she signs and this film had great disability representation.
0: That is definitely something to a plan to flag on, no doubt about that one. So Michael, Close to You is making its debut at TIFF. When this eventually comes out to a wider audience, would you recommend it?
4: I would recommend it very much. It's not just because I got to shout out at Page I did. I thank Elliot Page for being part of a film that had open captions, and they they agreed with me about the importance of open captions, which is always a win. But this film is a good story about what it means to be inclusive as a family, especially when you have family members that you haven't seen for a long time, or family members that you may not understand is, what is going on with them. So I think, I think you know, in a few years, we'll be talking more and more about this film and how it pushed the needle for trans representation as well as representations of family dynamics.
0: Michael, going back to the festival overall, you mentioned there may have been some issues in regards to the number of films with open captioning, but how has your experience been so far with TIFF?
4: I'm happy watching the foreign films and I'm hoping to work those and in future coverage along with English-language films were never appropriate. I'm just sad when the English-language films are not working, as I was really excited to see them. There are so many movies right now that people are talking about. Leave with Kate means that it's an Oscar nomination for sure. The Holdovers with Paul Tiamatti. um Viggo Mortensen's new, New Western, so on and so on and so on. Those are all movies I'm very excited to see in theaters when the captioning machine is working. It usually works well when there's ask people in the auditorium, but I think the technology is showing its age because we started using the technology back in 2010 or whatever. Mm. Now it's just a little bit disappointing that we can't move forward with the times. However, I've been having positive interactions with customer relations. I've met a few people personally and they are nothing but compassionate and empathetic towards the situation. I'm hoping to be involved in some meetings after the festival to talk about programming that will have open captions for everyone.
0: Michael, what about accessibility improvements? Maybe beyond the open captioning, what would you want implemented going into next year?
4: Well, another another aspect worth mentioning is that when you're watching movies at Tiflight like bus and then you have a movie at Scotia Bank, um it's two blocks away but the the sidewalk is now very good it's filled with potholes and um telephone pools it's very hard to navigate especially if you're in a wheelchair i don't think it's possible so how would someone navigate these two buildings if they have movies when next to each other, after each other that would be something that i would be curious about I think it's also important to recognize that people with disabilities may have trouble going to the bathroom or taking a break from the movie in the middle of a movie because they have to leave the movie, they have to pass all the people. It's hard to do that. So I would perhaps recommend, you know, seats always be reserved for people with disabilities or seats closed to the exits, are always there for people that might, you know, might think they have to step away because I always uh, I always feel bad about tripping on people and mm. pushing them. So I would prefer not to have to deal with other people when I'm trying to leave.
0: You know, Michael, that's a really interesting thought in regards to some of the seating components, because in some of these cases, the screenings are in smaller theaters or what I would call less commercialized theaters when you go to a lot of the big boys the big chains there is a lot of preset accessible seating or spots that are reserved for people with disabilities yeah that is something that i wonder if more film festivals should be considering as they're either doing uh on-the-fly screening rooms, or smaller screening rooms, or less major commercialized screening rooms. I wonder if that's something that overall should be pro- put forward as a broader thought moving forward, not just at TIFF, but at a lot of festivals.
4: No, I agree with you. I think I think it's important to recognize that not everybody's going to stay seated for an entire film's running time. I think I'm thinking about my parents, and they would probably advise me to put in a flashlight. But I think I would just want a small flashlight instead of one of my big metal ones, which would set off detectors. <laughs> um, but it's just a safety concern. For example, if you're starting off on the, on the fifth wall up, you could potentially fall down the stairs, especially with flickering lights coming from the screen. So many really conscious about that right now because when the captioning machines not working, I have to leave. Because there's no point in me staying. I can't provide any coverage for AMI because I can't understand the movie. So when I leave, I just want to try sure and safe in doing so. Michael, thank you for
0: this. Thank you for the review. Thank you for your overall thoughts on Tiff. I know it's an exciting time for industry folks. Hope you enjoy the last couple of days of the festival.
4: Yes, thank you. And we'll be able to be talking about all these movies for a year. Very good. That's Michael
0: McNeely, entertainment critic. TIFF runs until September the 17th. That's this weekend. For more information about this year's festival, you can visit tiff.net, T-I-F-F.net, and follow Michael on Twitter at Michael D. McNeely, at Michael D. McNeely. McNeely is spelled M C N E E. L Y. Coming up after the break, Megan Gilmore has questions for myself, Ramya Amuthan and Nazreen Abdelmajid, all about family traditions around food. Get your taste buds ready. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. It's Now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. Lots of live programming on AMI TV today. Now with Dave Brown wraps up in about 10 minutes. Access Tech Live, I got it right that time, starts at noon Eastern Time with Mark Flalo and Stephen Scott. And then 2 p.m. Eastern Time, Kelly and Rumya hit the airwaves. And Rumya Emuthin is here to offer up a preview of what's coming up on the show. Good morning, Rumya.
5: Good morning, Dave. Yes, we're talking to Mike Fair today. More audio entertainment on the docket. There's a later or the latest release of Sherlock. It's an... um... Audible original. He's gonna highlight it. We're kind of done with the summer fun audio entertainment, but okay. there's still so much. Okay. Even in the fall and winter, lots more audio entertainment to come. Uh Chef Mary Mammalidi is coming back with a pumpkin conversation. We're talking varieties of uh most common varieties of pumpkin, but the best for cooking, and also some recipes are gonna get thrown in there, obviously. Groovy and then gourds,
0: flipping- groovy gourds with Mary Mammalidi. <laughs>
5: yeah, it's a good sidewind title. We should come to you for these things. Well, uh, what can I say? And- We have What in the World, which is where we uh, find all kinds of quirky stories from around the globe of things that are going on and what people are up to, and we scratch our heads about them.
0: Is that uh, Grant Hardy or Jeff Ryman mm-hmm. in that chair today? Oh, Grant, Grant Hardy today. Big Grant in the mix, Rami. I've got to ask you a question about yesterday's show. Yeah. I unfortunately took a very long nap in the afternoon yesterday, and I missed your program. I oh, really sure. want a very well deserved. I really wanted to hear what Arash Madani from Sportsnet had to say about the FIBA Basketball World Cup. But more importantly, I wanted to know if you were going to ask him questions about his super awesome wardrobe. We Did you?
5: Didn't we? Didn't ask him any questions about his wardrobe, Dave, I completely disappointed you, but that's because he was so hyped about FIBA and this being the best lineup ever, so... I'm sorry uh, it's Sports okay it's us.
0: okay I love a rash I'm a little disappointed you failed my assignment that's okay next time you talk to a rash I'm gonna insist next time I'm gonna insist
5: you must come on the show like running or whatever you said you were gonna
0: do <laughs> next time okay. I'll just take my nap below your desk here in studio seven Please. and I promise you my snoring will not interfere interfere with your show at all <laughs> yeah at all <laughs> we got lots of gate on our uh, labs. <laughs> 2 p.m. Eastern time Kelly and Ramya on AMI TV Ramya don't go anywhere though because Because Megan Gilmore has a question this morning about where food and family traditions intersect. Megan, how'd this come to mind for you?
1: Sure, so we had a family gathering uh, this past Sunday with my extended family. My extended family is very small, so it's like, 11 of us. Anyways, and I reintroduced an old family classic. So my late grandmother who passed away in December, 2018 was known for her butter charts mm. and they were a big deal. When I mean, We went to like extended big family gatherings and like with all like those like third cousins that like, you don't even know who they are. And they all know, and there's like, for you. you? Um, like she would come with these big things of butter charts and you had to be standing at the table when she put them down or else you would not get them like this is how quickly they would go. So it, it was a deal, like people would ask, is Bernice here yet, are the butter tarts here? This is what we did. So since she has died, I have not eaten any butter tarts, except one, my uh, cousin's wife baked butter tarts when my my grandfather died and we ate them at, after the internment as like a family tradition. But because I mm. love my grandma so much and love her recipe, I can't eat other people's butter tarts because they're inferior. But last week, a friend in Ottawa introduced me to Frank's in Ottawa, oh. which has, yes, Your this is going, Dave, which has these amazing, huge butter tarts. And I was like, yes, please, family gathering. And I brought a dozen to make this sentimental moment even better with real butter tarts coming back for the Gilmores made by someone else, but it's okay. And it just got me thinking about like, what are our favorite traditional family dishes that are like unique to our family and our experience of family
0: gatherings i think this is going to be really fun because we do represent a pretty culturally diverse round table when we do this like i've got italian and a lot of british isles in me i'll keep Mm -hmm. my powder dry for a second here i want to hear nazreen nazreen you've talked before about how when your family gets together it is an eating bonanza but what are some of the signature dishes like what are the things that everybody's like oh yeah that's like that's the thing that we're that we're digging into here
6: yeah, from dinner to dessert, there's just so much going on. You're always eating, and it's rude if you say no, you don't want. So um, I, I get you, Megan. I feel like what our family traditions, and it, it usually happens back in the day especially, but uh, when we celebrate something, when something happens uh, that's exciting, we all get together, even second cousins, third cousins, and we have lamb. Lamb oh, with rice oh, and other side yes. pieces yeah so other side dishes like yogurt with cucumber and um obviously rice has to be there chicken has to be there but the lamb you have to get the full big lamb you cook that in the oven i don't know how my mom fits that thing in the oven (laughs) it's huge like they bring it it's wrapped up and they they clean it and they and they put that in the oven and i'm sitting there like am I going to do this one day? And do I have to do this one day? Okay,
0: okay. I want you, okay, Nazreen, please hold that thought because I want to give Ramya a shot at this one as well because I do think, yeah, the notion of passing down a recipe and preparing the recipe is an integral part of the conversation as well. But Ramya, what about you? When the fam's getting together, what's sort of the must-have dish? By the way, that lamb sounds delicious. I don't know if there's much of a chance we're going to beat that.
3: (laughs) (laughs)
5: I know I was gonna say that it sounds like there's enough lamb to go around you know um honestly for me the there's no staple in our families because we don't necessarily have like Christmas tradition or Thanksgiving tradition or that kind of thing or at least like the the North American tradition ways but uh whenever there's some kind of um cultural like Tamil or Sri Lankan thing, which is you know uh, Tamil New Year or Thaipongas, which is like our Thanksgiving. My mom makes everything vegetarian because there are like religious threads to this, mm. so everything vegetarian, just an a smorgasbord. I don't know if any of you are familiar with Thali, but Thali is this concept of just like millions of sides with one or two carbs, right? So rice and like fifty curries or like Whoa! things to eat. It it's just like your table is packed with all stuff, but everything to eat with rice or with a roti or a roti substitute, that kind of thing. So my mom is an expert at uh, cooking vegetarian and all these things. And similar to your grandmother's butter tarts, Megan, I would not have this meal at anybody else's home other than my mom's because she just is... Uh, reliably a good cook but Mm. if you're talking about a recipe to pass down and a recipe that I'm trying to perfect it's my mom's shrimp curry everyone knows in my family that we will not have shrimp curry the way that others make it it's got to be for it to hit that spot it's got to be my mom's
0: it's, Megan, so I know you've got that on your brain, Nazreen has yeah. that on the brain. I know with a lot of the famous dishes in my family, whether it was my great-aunt Mary's uh, mac and cheese, whether it was my nana's raisin pie, whether it was my grandfather's spaghetti sauce, it just— we've never been able to replicate it in the way that they made it. There was just something about them putting their hands on it. Megan, what about Mm -hmm. you in terms of your perception of some of these dishes that we hoped would be passed down generationally, (laughs) but perhaps we don't have the capacity to do?
1: Right, like the Butterfurt recipe was never passed down and there's debate among us if there actually was a recipe. (laughs) Um, But I know, I asked specifically, I was like, Grandma, you were going to die. And we need tarts after you die. Like, where's this recipe? And the recipe was never passed down. And I like, I don't know. Like, I don't know where it is. And my other grandmother, who's still alive, she's really good at like pie crust. Oh. Excellent at it. I asked her. I was like, please teach me. I thought I was making a bonding moment. She looked at me. She's like, it's on the back of the Crisco box. You can figure it out yourself. <laughs> and I'm like no it's not I think it's different and she's like no it's just at the back of the box and I, I don't believe her I actually do think she does something different but she's not telling me
0: there was an entire episode of Friends, spoiler alert on this one, where Monica's trying to make Phoebe chocolate chip cookies like her grandmother yes. made, and at the end they find out that, oh, my grandmother's recipe was from Nestle Toulouse. <laughs> yeah. You mean Nestle Toulouse? Uh It's right on the back of the chocolate chip cookies. It's so funny. Nazreen, we've only got about a minute left on the clock here, but you talked about how much your family relies upon your mom in these times to make this beautiful mm-hmm. lamb dinner. How much is your perception of like the family tradition going along with the difficulty of actually preparing the meal or the dish
6: oh my god there's so much there's so much to prepare and and i mean a lot of dishes are put into to a family gathering and especially dessert as well where you you have to have 50 types of baklawe on it so um I am really excited to host I don't know if I'm going to be able to pass on the same types of recipes that everybody else has like my grandma may she rest in peace like she was a professional but yeah I I hope I hope to do so.
0: Nizreen, I have all the faith in you in the world. Even if I can't make (laughs) Mm -hmm. my great aunt Mary's mac and cheese I've been able to perfect my own which sticks to your bones in the exact same way. Ramya Nizreen, you guys have a great day. Megan you as well. Megan's back tomorrow as co-host on the show. There's also a news panel coming your way. The show starts at 9am Eastern time. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun.